You are listening to the Phoenix Podcast with UK life and wellbeing coach Zoe Thompson. Meaningful and light-hearted conversations packed with hints, tips and advice to help you live the life that you want with confidence. Like, subscribe, share and make sure you stay tuned to create the tomorrow you want while learning to love your today. Good morning and welcome to another Fire Five at Phoenix. My name is Zoe Thompson and I am the coach here at Phoenix Life and Wellbeing Coaching. If you haven't watched any of these before, um, we would love you to have a look at the playlist. There's lots of episodes. I think this is episode 21 now, Um, but the concept is pretty simple. I am joined live each week with a guest and that guest brings with them five questions five questions on the topic of the month and this month the theme is managing our emotions so i'm joined this morning by graham graham is from maplebrook wills uh, and so he has five questions for me which uh, i'm looking forward to hearing and having the chance to answer Uh, before we get into the questions graham do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and uh, the business and the work that you do Thank you, Zoe. Thanks for inviting me today. Um, I am Graham Southorn from Maplebrook Wills, and I give people peace of mind for their future and their family's future through um, the range of legacy planning uh, documents and services that we offer. So we do four things, uh, wills, trusts, funeral plans, and lasting powers of attorney. Um, With wills and trusts, those are things that apply after you've passed away. They ensure that your money, uh, your estate goes to the people you want it to go to and maybe not the people you don't want it to go to uh funeral plans um if you've ever been at home during the day you'll see a lot of adverts for those they are very popular they basically help people um, save money uh, on their funeral costs and then lasting powers of attorney they are the kind of like living will so they apply while you're still alive and they allow you to delegate uh, people who have to be over the age of 18 but um, those people are called attorneys who can make decisions on your behalf if if you lose uh, mental capacity or you just need someone to go to the bank because you're in a short hospital stay, things like that. So so broadly speaking, it's it's documents to help people um, make sure that, uh, the, you know, the life uh, doesn't come unstuck while they're still alive, um, their family situation, and then uh, after they've passed away to, to govern where their assets go. So, so important, isn't it? I think it's I, I don't know, I'd speak from, from my own experience. I think it's one of those conversations that nobody really wants to have, but it's a conversation that everybody needs to have and to make sure that that people around you know exactly what it is that you want and what's, what's important to you. And I guess that's why um, certainly emotions being the topic is probably something that you have to manage whether not, not necessarily your own emotions, but the emotions of people who you're in, in contact with, especially when it doesn't go to plan or when people haven't put that plan in place, I guess. I mean, I, I don't really see that so much, uh, you know, because I because I, I do the job for people. And, you know, after that, I mean, it's it's sometimes we offer probate services for people. Obviously, they're people who've, who've done will. So, mm-hmm. uh, but um, what, what I do keep a record of is, is the, the quite regular uh, newspaper stories, uh, media stories of people who, who 
haven't done this kind of planning and and sometimes it's it's gone hor horribly wrong <laughs> and uh you know and and so you you know you can see what what kind kind of thing might go wrong um having said that uh, when i do meet people um you know the emotions can be can be strong so i'm sure yeah. we'll put into some of that <laughs> yeah so on on that note do you want to start with the first question yes uh, so I suppose, uh, as I said, uh, so w when I meet, pe meet people to to write their wills for them, um, there are lots of different family circumstances and um, and they can be very emotional. But making a will really is about making um, a sound decision and a kind of sound financial decision. Um, how do you think you can you can make good decisions and and the right decisions when you know strong emotions are involved? Well, I think. That's a great question, and I, I think something that comes up a lot is the, the the difference for people between the sort of logical approach and the emotional approach, and being able to not always separate because I think both are are equally important. But, all, but looking at what both are, so looking at what your more emotional, rationalised decisions are, and what the more sort of logical decisions are I think especially with the work that you do quite often people are um, paying attention not just to their own feelings on things but also the feelings of other people and how their decisions might impact other people but I think it's really important for people to know what is important to them and make decisions on what's important to them and then to communicate why that's important to other people so I think the emotions the logic and the emotional is both important in influencing those decisions but I think when looking at the decision I think it's important to look at what is the emotional influence and what's the the more logical influence and how that's impacting how you're reaching that decision if does that does that make sense is that <clears throat> yeah I mean quite often I mean I have sat in meetings where um people have fallen out with their children and you know they're writing a will for that reason to to give them less money or to write them out and I'm, I'm sitting there and I remember this one gentleman who was getting very agitated and the longer he spoke the you know the higher his voice rose and he was getting uh, you know all, to the point where he was almost shouting actually mm. and um, you know felt very angry about the way he was from his point of view obviously there's always two points of view but you know from his point of view he was um angry about the way uh, one of his um children had treated him and um was being very dismissive and you know he was wanting to to write them out of the will and um i can i i can only advise people what what might happen if they do that you know the, the kind of risk of court cases and things like that and and the ability of um, certainly children and a select other list of people to um to challenge a will if they don't like they don't like it or if, if, basically if they feel they haven't been um, financially recompensed enough by the will they could mm -hmm. go to court you know whether whether they can afford the court fees and whether that case would be successful is another thing but but often we you know I, I can advise them to do a certain type of will which might be more expensive or I can advise them to maybe actually uh, give give them something um, um, just so they're not left out completely and um you'd be amazed that um even though i'm giving them a logical you know rational answer based on experience um sometimes the anger is so strong that um 
you know they'll ignore it <laughs> i think this this is the challenge isn't it of of not making a long-term decision based on on and on short-term emotions and i think sometimes people can be very quick to react but sometimes these aren't short-term emotions these are emotions that are attached to a long-term situation and so they're making a decision based on that so there's more logic attached to that but i think it's that it, it's not it's not the same scenario but it's the same principle of sitting on that email for 24 hours before you hit the send button isn't it yeah. and then going back and checking it and making sure that your your response is proportionate and um it's a response that's going to help get the outcome that you're looking for rather than a response that's based and influenced strongly by those emotions so i think you know with certainly in some of the situations that you're you're referencing there they're quite long-term they can be quite long-term situations can't they that sort of family separation or a fam family fallout which needs a longer term decision or action but sometimes people are responding off of something that's quite short-term and that could be resolved and sometimes the energy is better invested in trying to resolve it than taking taking swift action which has got long-term consequences yeah and i should say also that sometimes it's the opposite so i remember one client who, who was you know near, near the end of her life with, with cancer you know had a falling out with um, one of the children you know and, and one of the, her adult children um who you know who she felt very hard done by and was going to sort of write them out of the will altogether um but actually during the will meeting decided to to leave him several thousand pounds mm. uh, um and then there was another gentleman who who'd got divorced but actually writing his will he wanted to make sure that his ex-wife still you know still benefited from from his estate so when i meet people like that i'm actually um Full of kind of um, admiration for them because I I'm not sure I'm not sure I would do the same <laughs> you know it's it's forgiveness really an amazing amount of forgiveness so you do encounter yeah. um, quite a lot of different sort of emotions um, and there's also the emotion of fear I think as well fear mm -hmm. about um, both good and bad fear if that makes sense so good fear in the sense that um, people uh, sort of you know they're still parents and they still want to make sure their children are looking uh, being looked after and they kind of fear for their future and they want to make sure that they're looked after so that's kind of fear mm -hmm. in a way that i can help with but then they sort of um fear in a bad way that, that they're worried about um i don't know uh, one of their children getting divorced or something like that you know and, and so they want to because of that fear of what might happen in the future they want to make sure they put the right the right planning in yeah and um the other one I thought of, sorry as I said, I think um, putting a will together puts you in quite a reflective mode, doesn't it? It puts you in, in that space of reflection. And I think where emotions come into it, that you're also values come into it, a level of responsibility comes into it. And so there's lots of factors at play, aren't there? And I think emotions are a part of that. But I think also people's over sometimes people's values override or people's duty of responsibility or duty of care override those emotions sometimes so i think it's in, a very interesting um space for people to sit and, and reflect and isn't it of that you know that legacy that they're leaving be, behind <clears throat> what what you know what life they've led <clears throat> excuse me what life they've led and and what what 
what messages they're leaving behind, what legacy they're leaving behind. Yeah. Yes. And I think a, a final one I, I've noted down here is, uh, you know, pride, because sometimes people have, mm-hmm. um, I suppose it's the archetypal kind of will, if you imagine a will where they've got a treasured possession um, yeah. uh, and they're, they're proud of their achievements in winning this award or whatever, medal or whatever it might be, or just something they've had in the family for a long time. And, and actually, rather than it just go generally into the estate and be sold or whatever, they want to give it to a particular person. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm trying to think of my own life. I don't think I've got any any object like that, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but um, but it, it, it's quite special when you meet people who do. It's not it's not that common, but sometimes you you know you come across people like that with the mm-hmm. treasured object, either something they've earned themselves and won, or or it's um, something that they've happened to have uh, acquired somehow. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also that the memories. The sentimental element that's attached to it as well as now and I know that um I I followed in the path of my my granddad in into the police service and so when he passed um my you know when we were looking at what you know his possessions I've got his the plaque that they did when he passed with his helmet badges and I've got his his helmet because it means something to me um whereas my sister had um, selections over other items which had more meaning for her and so sometimes it's it's the meaning and the sentiment that's attached to it as well as as the pride isn't it and yeah. again another another range of emotions there yeah exactly good first question thank you <laughs> so you want number two yes, <laughs> number two so um yeah, I've heard a lot over the years, uh, I've read a little bit about it, um, about emotional intelligence, EQ. Mm. Uh, so I was wondering, you know, what, what does emotional intelligence mean to you? And um, how can we use it to sort of understand um, other people's emotions and act in an emotionally intelligent way? And kind of what does it mean in practice? Good question. Uh, what does it mean to me? It means I'm like there's there's going to be a dictionary definition, isn't there? But I think for me it means um, under, understanding your own emotions um, and understanding how your behaviour uh, re- how your behaviour can impact other people, um, but also being able to read and understand other people's emotions and behaviours and, and responses. So and I I've been very fortunate I guess um depending on which way you want to look at it the work that I've always done has been um and has required uh you know that high amount of EQ mm. as opposed to IQ which is fortunate because my, my <laughs> EQ levels are a lot higher than my IQ levels um but certainly working with with people whether that was um in roles that I did with the police or whether that was roles now as as a coach is is understanding um, and reading people's behaviour, and whether that's of the verbal or the non-verbal, the you know the body language, the tone, the pace, the inflection, all come all come into that. So, I think the the number is seven um, percent of of our communication is the actual words. Everything else is the you know body language, tone, pace, inflection, and how we how we communicate. So EQ becomes really important in that, and I think especially for me it's looking at what's not being said 
as much as what is being said and being able to look at when there's a disconnect between the words that I'm hearing, but also what I'm seeing in terms of body language and, and responses. So uh, that's what it that's what it means to me. There was a second part to the question, though. Can you re repeat that second part for me? Um, please? Yeah. You know, what does it mean in practice? You have covered some of that. Yeah, I think it is just looking for what's I think for me what's important especially with in in a coaching environment is un understanding not just what people say but what they mean by that um and checking what their what they what they want me to understand by that so checking that I have understood them correctly um we we use um sort of a lot of reflection in coaching so playing back to people what they say um, and helping people to look at things from different perspectives. And so EQ, emotional intelligence comes into that of helping to understand not just the place they're coming from, but the emotions that come with that and the experiences that come with that, the beliefs that come with that all gets woven in together. So in a, in a coaching space, it's very much for me and video calls are, are great. In-person is great. Phone, not so much because I'm looking at body language I'm looking at hand hand movements tell a great story so people who are very right. animated will quite often say one thing and their hands will say something else or they'll struggle to find the words but they'll show you with their hands so they'll be trying to find a, a way to explain something to you but their hands will will tell you what they're trying to explain so that's that's what it means for me that's how that's the sort of the context that I'm using it it now is is it similar similar for you in your work um yeah well i suppose that you know i've got to be mindful of um of the you know stepping on eggshells a bit i suppose mm. and just um sort of kind of reading the room and um and i mean the, the way i i get around it is, is just is it's quite boring really it's just procedural just make sure you have you go th ask every question um yeah you know so going back to that thing earlier people excluding people from wills uh you know one of the questions we i have to ask is um how many children do you have and there was one there was one meeting where i had spoken to this couple for you know it must have been nearly an hour or maybe even more than an hour and um it said that they had one uh daughter and then after an hour um the, the lady mentioned the son and i said well i thought you had one one daughter oh well no i've got got a son as well and uh do you have any more um oh yeah i've got n another daughter and i sort of turned to the husband and said what about you oh yeah well i've got two as well from a previous marriage but we don't talk about them <laughs> and uh so um you know obviously when you talk to a will writer you, this is a kind of uh, question you've got to answer honestly otherwise uh, bad, bad things can happen um both to the will writer and, and to yourself if uh, you know if so even if there's people that you, you do not speak their name um it's best to mention them in, in a will meeting mm -hmm. um but yeah so um obviously that was um to, that that you know that that was quite um, a graphic illustration i think of that but yeah. as i say i would just get around it just by um asking um asking multiple questions just, just kind of being alert to what people are saying and mm. just maybe things that they're not saying so maybe if people sort of shift uncomfortably and things like that um, yeah. and when certain things come up you can maybe um quiz them a bit more i don't want to sound like it's some sort of police interrogation <laughs> <laughs> like, like you yeah. 
done in the past. Um, it's not like that at all. Um, it is I mean, something that needs to be sensitively managed, but they are questions that you need to ask, aren't they? Yeah, and I I I struggled with this at first, and I still struggle with it a bit now that I'm um, you know I'm not not a very extrovert person. In fact, in fact, the, the opposite. So asking people about you know, oh, when did you get divorced? And, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, are, you, are you planning to get married? And all kind of personal questions that I would never in a million years ask someone in, in a pub, let's say. Yeah. Um, just sort of seems impertinent, you know, and, and kind of, uh, you know, very prying. But unfortunately, I've got to ask or ask these things now in yeah. professional capacity. But it's amazing what um, um, what people do tell you. Um, you know, and obviously, um, I it's all um secret and wouldn't go beyond myself but i i just constantly amazed at what, what people do say um, mm. i think uh, you mentioned reading the room but i think also the, with the work that you do and i think with coaching as well you prepare the room so you the conversation <clears throat> you almost preempt that there are going to be some difficult questions or quite personal questions so it's it's not just reading the room; it's prepare. You know what what I would refer to as preparing the room and saying, look, over the next hour, I'm going to need to gather information. I will ask some questions. You know, they're not deliberately there to be uncomfortable, but they might feel uncomfortable. But the reason why I need to ask them is this, this, and this. And so, you you get that mm. commitment to be the <clears throat> excuse me that op open and on openness and honesty but you're it's explaining why that's important that you're not there just because it's you know it's interesting and you can go yeah. and think about it at the tea table of all of the interesting things you've heard today but you are asking for a reason there is a purpose to you asking those questions and why it's important that people are open and, and honest and the same same with coaching you know for me to be able to support somebody on their journey I need a true picture of what's happening and how people are feeling so it's it's reading the room but it's also preparing the room and building that rapport and that trust building that relationship to to be able to do that and and so i think there's some definitely some similarities there yeah yeah excellent shall i go to question three yeah um so yeah so obviously um with with will so about what happens um to your estate when you die uh, and of course, um, you know, when, when you die eventually, as, as we all do, um, your family will no doubt uh, grieve your loss, grieve for you. And I think grief is obviously the probably the most powerful emotion there is. And I wondered if, um, you know, you, you had any advice for um, people dealing with grief. Is there a best way to deal with it or is everybody different or um is there anything you've learned in, in your experience that would would help people actually um, when when they've lost a loved one? Mm, uh, grief, I think grief is very, very individual, isn't it? And I, I think there's the way that we respond to a loss. Um, there, there's lots of influences there. There's how how we've learned to respond to loss. So how your parents might have, you know, when you're growing up and you've lost maybe a grandparent or a family member, you see how your family grieve. And I think, you know, when you look at the differences in, in culture, in how different different cultures grieve and, and celebrate or mourn the loss of a loved one, it's very different. So I think there's some learned responses in there of how we've how we've learned to deal with grief. 
Um, but I think it is very individual. And I, I think people look for a timeline, don't they? Of when is this going to get easier? And when am I going to feel better about this? And there's lots of quotes out there, aren't there, that it doesn't get any easier. The loss doesn't get any easier. You just learn to manage without that person better as, as time goes on. And I think that's that's the challenge. I, I think it's it's tough, isn't it? Because we all, you know, most of us would say we don't want, you know, we want people to, to mourn and grieve, but we don't want people to be impacted for a very long period of time. We want people to enjoy life and celebrate the life that, that we've had. Um, but it doesn't always feel like that when you're the person who has experienced the loss. And so I think it is a very individual very individual thing and I know people come at it at different ways I know some people have felt very guilty when they have lost somebody and that that has impacted how they've moved on with life um I think just from my own personal experience having you know from from losing somebody who was very young for me that gave me a purpose to live life to the full because that person's life had been taken away and so I think people do approach it very differently. For me, on, on the anniversary of their death, I look at life and I think, am I, li am I living my life? Am I living my life in the best way possible? Am I living the life that I want to live? Am I doing things that are important to me? Am I living my life with purpose? And that's how I, that's how I celebrate her life because for, for me, from my perspective, her life was taken away very young. So she hasn't had these opportunities. So my way of reflecting on that is to make sure that I am. And that's how I approach it. But I know that other people approach that in different ways. And I know some people feel very guilty for living a life that somebody else has lost that opportunity or had that opportunity taken away. And I think it is very individual. I, you know, I don't think it's for anybody to tell somebody else how they should respond to it. I don't think it's for anybody to um, tell people what they should be doing or how they should be doing it. I think it's that question of how can we help you to manage this loss? How can we help you to move on when you feel ready to move on and you know there's there's grief counselors and there's a lot of yeah. very specific very trained um people you know that that are able to help help people with that not everybody yeah. needs it but it is there for those who who do and i think it does very much depend on the circumstance and and the relationship and the age comes into it as well doesn't it and especially when it's unexpected and it's a young person you know, there's so many different dynamics yeah. that come into it I think you know there's lots of models isn't there there's the change curve and there's the, the the five stages of of grieving and there's lots of information out there that is helpful to people but I think ultimately it's it's your it's that's your journey to move through a, a pace in a way that that works for you that's comfortable for you and I think that's the difference is the, the difficulty isn't it when you've got members of one family who've all experienced the same loss but are all managing it in a different way and it's it's very different different experiences isn't it yeah I mean I, I've got to admit I don't know you know I have obviously experienced it but I don't really know much about it in terms of um, I've, I've heard of these five stages and things I, I couldn't tell you what they were 
um, I mean, from my perspective, you know, when my, my mother had, had cancer and, and it, it went on for a long time. So, you know, it was, it was very expected by the, by the time she passed away. And, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, such, such an awful thing to, to go through, you know, and to witness as well. Um, but, but yes, yeah, so I, I can't really, uh, you know, I can't really imagine the, the opposite side, the kind of sudden, sudden loss side, you know, that I imagine that'd be quite a different, different, um, feeling really. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think everybody's different, aren't they? You know, some people would cry and some people would be perhaps more internal and, um, yeah, I, I don't necessarily think there is a right or wrong way, but, but, um, I, I'm not a counselor. And I, I don't know anything about it. So, um, yeah. Um, but definitely a strong one. I think it can it can affect you, can affect you. Um, yeah, I'm not. I, yeah, I, I've seen seen the impact of loss and and grief, and and it's it, it it's for some people it's not a, it's not something that goes away, and it, it can have an impact on on their life for 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 a very long time. And I, I think it's it's sad to see see that happen and and it's good that there are agencies and and support networks out there to help help people help people through that but yeah i think it's definitely very in very individual there's no right it's not a right or wrong response i think it's just the best possible response for you and the situation that that you're in yeah and i think <clears throat> um, just just to mention something i've i've attended um called the death cafe um, which um, is not counselling. They, they make it very clear it's not. It's not for people who are looking to deal with grief. It's just an open discussion for a couple of hours um, with um, tea and coffee when, and cakes when we were able to actually meet. And um, I went to one at my local um, <clears throat> place called On Honours Vale, and mm -hmm. um, they're, they're quite regular. I think they do them online as well. And it's just a general discussion about anything related to death. And some people, and everyone goes for different reasons. Some people um, want to go to talk about a family member or something like that. Other people are there mm -hmm. for kind of religious or metaphysical, uh, you know, um, want, want to talk about that kind of thing. Um, and there's everyone goes with a different, um, um, a, a different reason to, to be there, as it were. And so every discussion is different. And um, I find it, you know, very, uh, very interesting. Really, uh, it's not. Um, uh, it, it, there was no technical discussion about wills or estate planning. <laughs> it was, it was just a general discussion about um, you can t you can talk about anything uh, related to death at all. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that must be very comforting for some some mm. people. I think it, it's uh, I, I don't know that taboo would be the right word, but I think some people are uncomfortable in having those conversations and they don't know what to say or they don't know what's appropriate to say or. They don't know how to support family or yeah. friends when when something happens. So I think, you know, that kind of environment and you know, I know Arnasvel do a lot of, of support in that way of having somewhere where you can go and, and speak openly and, and have that support and, and build a network of support as well is is yeah. really helpful to have. I would definitely recommend yeah, definitely recommend the death cafes. Um and that's exactly why they've sprung up because of this taboo to be mm. uh, I think they are on on I, I went to one on zoom um I think Memorial Woodlands do do them as well I think mm. they're free um 
and they, I think it, it was originally in, in America, American idea, but um, certainly is very popular over here, and you know, increasingly popular with more groups bringing up. Okay. Um, but um, but yeah, I think that's that's a good. Um, well, um, I'll find some information and pop some pop some links into into the into the chat for people who might be interested in finding out a little bit more. I think sounds sounds a really positive option for people. Well, I think if if what it could do is it could sort of like metaphorically sort of dip your toe in the water. Like if you if you know you're going to encounter um, grief at some stage, you, you know eventually mm -hmm. a family member is going to pass away. Mm -hmm. Maybe by going to one or two of these things, it will, it will it wouldn't be such a uh, shock to the system when it does happen. Yeah, and I think that's preparation is is preparing for those conversations is sometimes part. You know, when when it's not unexpected, if there is a terminal illness, then sometimes helping get you know not waiting to get yeah. that help getting that help as soon as soon as soon as you know that that help is going to be needed of, of stepping forward and getting that help is, is really important yeah yeah okay shall we move on to number four yeah um so uh i think uh well we talked a lot about you know wills and how how they involve families and we've got christmas coming up <laughs> it's gonna be extra hard this year with the, the yeah. social bubbles you have to observe and um so in terms of emotions, how do uh, family relationships um, affect or, or cause our emotions? I realise it's a massive topic. <laughs> do you have, um, maybe to bring it down to earth, do you have a, any tips for surviving a family Christmas um, this year and all the strong emotions that I could bring out, especially with the social yeah. bubble? <laughs> well, I think Christmas is often that cause for debate, isn't it, of who's... Yeah home should you be going to whose turn is it and who gets the grandchildren for Christmas day this year or who gets the children for Christmas this this year um you know and I think this year has been really disruptive <clears throat> I think there's been lots of um probably lots of conversations that have had to have gone on around similar um you know there'll be some people this year who will be experiencing their first Christmas without a loved one because they've, they've passed away this year. Um, mm -hmm. I think sadly more people than perhaps um, would have been expected. But I think there will also be some families who are separated for the first time. So wh whether you're talking a relationship separation and negotiating who has children on yes. which day, but also because of the social bubbles, there will be people who are separated who would normally spend that time together we've we've been having our conversations this week about how we're going to manage it um and you know we will there will be family members who we would normally spend christmas with who we won't we won't see this this year well certainly not over the days that we would normally see them um so it's working out i had this conversation with with somebody yesterday you know what what can you what can you do under the different tier options so I think that's part of the challenge at the moment isn't it of not knowing what tier you might be in which might add further restrictions or less restrictions but also looking at the the rules and the bubble rules and and what you can do and when and so I think to help that at the moment I think looking at what your different options are for different tiers start to have those conversations early on, start to think about what you do want to happen and how you can manage that. And I think Christmas is the 25th, but it doesn't need to be the 25th. Christmas 
is about the connection. It's about spending spending time, quality time. And that could be done on any day. And I think that is going to be difficult for some people to get their heads around. Um, <clears throat> but it's it's what what's meaningful about Christmas for you? What's important about Christmas for you? And how can you meet that in a different way? this year and I think that's part of the challenge I'm not I work shift work for years so we've you know when my son was young we did Christmas day <clears throat> on what whatever day I wasn't working that was near the 25th he didn't he didn't know any different as long as he woke up and we celebrated Christmas it, it didn't matter for him so I think there'll be some children who are not old enough to know what day of the week it is and yeah I think what's important is to look at what's important about Christmas for you what what is it that you really want to make happen and then how can you make that happen over the course of the two weeks um with with the bubbles and isolation and keeping people safe because ultimately as important as christmas is we want to keep our loved ones safe and healthy and you know it's being able to being able to balance both of that but i think have those conversations early on and look at the different options for the different tiers so that you can start to work out who's who's potentially doing what and and when to be able to make that happen but i think we have traditions at christmas but ultimately it's what do those traditions bring what does christmas mean to you what's important because for most people it is about seeing people and that quality that quality time and so that can be done that can be done on on any day so it's just working out how best how best to manage that i think but it, it will be it will be difficult and i think there will be a lot of people that are feel isolated not not in terms of isolation but will feel isolated from family and, and friends in a way that they haven't experienced before and that's that's going to be challenging but I, I hopefully there will be um lots of options for people online um i know sarah millican the comedian she does a <clears throat> it? join join in join in that she does on twitter so for people who are on their own for christmas or who don't celebrate christmas for whatever reason can join in in you know, with some a fun fun supportive community on online on, on christmas day new year's day if, if they want that that support so hopefully there will be lots online that will offer offer extra support for people yeah. it's gonna be I mean, tough I mean, <clears throat> We're looking for a silver lining in, in all of this. I mean, because you've you've got to make quite harsh decisions about who you're going to see and things like that. You know, for some people, it may take the pressure off them a little bit. You know, the, the sort of people who feel very pressured to, to you know, for example, cook a large meal and everything's got to go perfectly and they don't um, leave anyone out and, and <laughs> everyone there together. And because of the rules being so, you know, so... Um, I'm going to say clear. I don't think the rules are clear, but you know what I mean. They're, they're um, because they're so um, definite. You know, you can only see these three people, etc. Um, you know, may, maybe Christmas will be smaller for some people, and for a small proportion of people, maybe that would be a good thing because it, yeah. they don't have to. Um, it'll it'll take a bit of the the um, the weight off their shoulders, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think I think there will be benefits for some for some people, and I think others will find it find it quite difficult but I think that that mirrors the entire year really doesn't it there's been lots of positives 
for people and there's also been lots of change that haven't changes that haven't been comfortable or haven't felt in our control uh, and I think it's the same I think it's the same again I think it's taking that step back and recognizing and acknowledging that this is this is not forever this is you know something that we need to do until this is under control and that's not that's not not forever. So it's it's one Christmas, one 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 period of time, um, and then we just make we have to make the best of the situation that we're in. That you know we can celebrate. You know other other um, other families in different religions have had to work around their festivals and their celebrations over the last couple of months. So you know it's it's doing the best you can with with what we can, um, and know that this isn't this isn't permanent and we can there will be next year yeah and we can do things differently so top tip for avoiding christmas arguments (laughs) don't drink too much remove remove yourself walk away from find a different room and a different conversation you're starting to feel tensions tensions rising i think it's yeah i walk away and uh, if you know that it's you're in an environment that's susceptible to lots of emotions and potential arguments of, you know, not not having too much alcohol and may, maybe just creating that space that you can mm. go into a different room or speak to a different member of the family or or keep keep your visiting time short and short and sweet. Well, that's it. I, I yes, I, I follow the the mantra of the you know the old acting sort of expression of leave people wanting more. So. <laughs> Times when, the times when I've spent, you know, a long time with family members um, have been, you know, um, good times. But but yeah, the, the longer you're in someone else's space, uh, I think that the more likely it is, let's say, for tensions to arise. Yeah, especially if you don't normally spend a lot of a lot of time with them. You know, it's, mm. it's you go from from not to 60 quite quickly don't you and if you're in somebody else's space or you've got people in your space so you know especially you know introverts who who like their own space and who who like smaller groups and 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 time out um it's ha- making sure that you kind of plan that in you know if you've got one day of very um what i would call people intense day of of making sure that the day after that is a people clear day and just taking you know balancing it out of not having lots of days with lots of people which I don't think we will have because of the the rules but you know making sure that you've got that space to step away into and and balancing it out yeah okay shall I move on to the last one yeah last question hopefully this is quite a fun one um I'm going to ask you the question then I'm going to um explain it so are are there any emotions that you find hard to articulate so I'll explain the question mm-hmm. um, I did a bit of preparation um, for this Zoe believe it or not <laughs> and I watched some uh, TED talks about emotions and um, there was one by uh, Tiffany Watt Smith and she um, she's a historian she studied the history of emotions and she's gone through uh, the literature of you know history science art music to uh, come up with um, descriptions of emotions that that you might not otherwise pinpoint. So I'll give you some examples. Uh, Illinx is an urge to do something reckless or mischievous. Um, Torchless panic is a German word for gate closing panic. And that's the feeling you get when life's running out on you, life's patting you by. Um, Marlu 
the sudden experience of feeling constricted inferior or awkward around people of higher status so that might be when you're trapped in the lift with the boss or you meet a yeah. celebrity for example this happens to me yeah um kaku i can't even say it <laughs> kaku kaipu um, and this is a good one this is an unshakable longing for a place you've never been so homesickness for a place you've never you've never seen you've never actually been to and then um, a good one for Christmas, our one book, uh, that's an air of loneliness or emptiness after visitors depart. So I suppose I've got one. I'll tell you my one. Um, and it's a kind of I, I don't know what words put to it. You can you can you can guess the word. But um, mine is a regret for concerts that I never went to. So, um, for example, I'm a huge um, fan of a rock band called Grateful Dead and um i there's not many days go by when i don't listen to some grateful dead um huge influence on my life when i was a student they played at wembley arena and uh i had labs the next day in my course and i didn't go and i i've i constantly regret it ever since and it's stupid i know um and there's a couple of other maybe one other concert i massively regret going to so it's a kind of regret um but um yeah, that's that's my example. Well, the other one is when um, my wife has the last um, quality street chocolate of the kind that I actually like. So there's only then a coconut left or something. <laughs> oh, that's a great one. What a great question. Uh, Wrong I question. <laughs> what comes what comes to mind? So I I and for anyone who who knows me quite well will know that I'm I tend to uh take action and then regret rather than not take action and regret although I'm, I'm not big on regret I don't I think everything happens for a reason um but I think if I was more I would be more likely to regret not doing something than doing it which is why I tend to do much more than I ever plan <laughs> I tend to say yes and then think about it later um what emotions such an interesting question i'm mean, like i interestingly and it doesn't answer the question i i fully accept this doesn't answer the question but i work quite a lot with metaphors with metaphors and analogies so sometimes it can be really difficult for people to communicate how they feel um but they can't find the words for it but what they'll do is they'll just they'll describe it um so you know some somebody recently described it they said it's it's like a, a typhoon um and it feels like everything is spinning around in my head and everything's getting dragged into it that that isn't relevant so we can then work with that analogy and sometimes i've you know i've worked with clients where i don't even know what it is that is i know what the metaphor that they're describing or the analogy that they're giving me but i don't know what's going on behind it so it can be really useful for trauma uh ptsd type conversations because it means people don't have to relive the experience or talk about the emotions but they can talk about an image or a, a metaphor and we can work with that um so that's really helpful and it's it's work i i really enjoy doing and i work with you know, I quite often will use descriptions when I can't find the words. Um, so I think that's doesn't answer the question. Um, but I'm trying to think 
Well, I think it, it, what you're saying is basically that um, you're agreeing, I think, with um, Tiffany Watt Smith that there are more emotions besides kind of fear, you know, um, love, all the kind of main ones. There's yeah. other things where you've, you've got maybe a feeling or a mood and it's sort of hard to articulate it. Yeah, and I, what I do, what, what I, another piece of work that I have done and that does come up is that people tend to use the same descriptions for how they feel. So people will tend to use the same, the same words to describe a feeling. But when you ask more questions, it's not that feeling, it's something else. So, um, you know, people will talk about fear, but it might not be fear, it might actually be some excitement but with a little bit of trepidation attached to it so when you look at and it's such a great question this because when you look at emotions there are hundreds and thousands of words that describe how we feel but most people in their vocabulary probably use five to ten and that they will reference certain certain emotions and they will use that as an umbrella for how they feel so when you look at um, people who really struggle with anxiety they will quite often umbrella um, how they feel under that anxiety umbrella. But sometimes it's not anxiety, it's something else, but they recognize the feeling and so it goes under, it gets pigeonholed quite quickly. So helping people to broaden their use of different words to describe their emotions can be really helpful in unlocking patterns of thought, patterns of behavior, patterns of feeling. So it's a really interesting question. I, mean, I would not describe myself as a words person. You know, some people have a really wide vocabulary, don't they? They like to learn new words and they like to like to explore using new words in conversations. It's not something I've I've ever really done. Um, and in fact, quite often I'll be reading materials and I'll, I'll need to look up the meanings of, of words to, to do that. So it's a great question because I would tend to describe it as describe the feeling rather than attach a word to it. But I'm still trying to think of feelings that... <laughs> By someone barges in ahead of you in a queue or something like that. <laughs> I think the thing that's coming to my mind is, the, is that peace of the, how do you describe it of that absolute silence and I think there's something about first like first thing in the morning so I I don't describe myself as a morning person but I wake up quite early but I like to sit with coffee and just listen and just sit with that absolute silence you know there's there's no traffic there's occasionally the odd bird you hear but it's that complete silence and I don't know how you would maybe maybe that's that's it of that's interesting. That, that feels yeah. I, and if I if I have a morning where I can't do that that's the feeling I can't describe it's almost that frustration that I've been robbed of my ah. my little silence yeah morning. Oh, that's why I don't do networking at seven o'clock because I like <laughs> I like to sit with <laughs> I like to start my day slow, but I don't, I, I think that's what I, I, I always have trouble describing, or I'm having trouble describing it now, of <laughs> how to explain what that feels like and why that's, why that's important. Mm. Great question. Thank you.
Yeah. I, um, I would like to watch that TED talk, actually. Could, um, if you can pop me the link, I'd be really interested. I will. And there's another fascinating one that I think everybody should watch, actually, by uh, a psychology professor, Lisa Feldman Barrett. And she describes how um, she's scanned people's brains, scanned people's facial expressions and analysed a lot of other studies. And what she's found is that emotions are, scientifically speaking, they are actually predictions of your um your, they're your brain's predictions of what happens when you uh, when when you feel something like if you feel your stomach churn or your heart beat faster or something like that then your brain sort of interprets what that might mean mm. and, and then constructs the emotion around it um which means it gives us hope actually for um better managing our emotions as she said it's not a quick fix but um once you understand what how an emotion is caused yeah um, you know you you can perhaps do something about it and i i'm sure i'm sure i've read somewhere um that we feel the response before we acknowledge cognitively so somatically yeah. we feel the feel a response our body picks up on that before our brains work out what it is which ties in with what you're saying right the yeah. analogy that i use working with people is that it's it's your emotions are your engine light um, so when when you feel the emotions, it's telling you to look deeper into something. So it's asking you yeah. to acknowledge that something is going on. And like with with any anybody who's ignored the warning light in their car knows that if you ignore it and you switch it off and hope that it will go away, it will just reappear in something else that forces you to take notice. So emotions are like a they are like a warning light, like a warning signal of not necessarily in a negative way, but it's it's bringing, it's getting your attention that there is something for you to pay attention to. But it, it, it could be an erroneous uh, prediction by your mm -hmm. brain. So like in my case, I think I failed, I can't remember how many times I failed, but I failed, <laughs> I failed my driving test like four or five times and, uh, you know, not being able to sleep the night before and heart pumping away mm -hmm. and my brain was thinking, oh my God, it's that test tomorrow and you didn't look in the mirror last time and all that kind of thing. Um, and I think from from watching her talk, you know, maybe you could reframe that in your mind as being, um, you know, it's not as simple as this, obviously, but, you know, I'm going to smash it tomorrow or, or yeah. I can uh, drive around without making these mistakes. And, um, and you know, as she says in the talk, this is going to take practice, it's not an easy fix, but just knowing the fact that you can kind of retrain your brain to, um, to recognise what's happening to you yeah. and have that instant thing of oh my god it's a driving test i'm going to fail which yeah. happened to me so many times um then you know maybe that's some hope for us all i think yeah it sounds like a, a very useful talk for people who are looking to break patterns of thoughts <clears throat> because it's that that again that umbrella of it feels like this so it must be this mm, exactly and, yes. uh, uh, disconnecting the links that are not helpful anymore and reconnecting what it could be and, and thinking of it, <coughs> excuse me, responding to it in a way that is more helpful to us now. So really interesting. Yeah. yeah, if you can send links to those talks, that'd be great. And we'll pop them in, pop them in the chat as well. And we'll also pop in the details of where people can find you and connect with you if, if they want to find out a little bit more, or perhaps this has nudged them a little bit in some actions that they might need to take to get themselves prepared um, for, for things in the future. But thank you so much 
for your time and such excellent questions. I feel like I've done a lot of lot of thinking today. <laughs> Thank you very much. Making questions. Thank you. Yeah, great answers. Thank you. Brilliant. Right. Well, thank thank you very much for you know I do really appreciate your your time and and coming on. Um, for for those of you who are watching um live, uh, feel free to ask any questions. If you're watching this back on any of the social media channels, you can pop any questions or comments that you have into the comments box on the channel that you're you're watching. I will keep my eye out for any notifications and respond to you. You can please do feel free to um, connect with us across the channels. There will be um, uh, the website details for both myself and Graham will get linked in. But thank you very much for your time in watching. Thank you, Graham, once again for your time and excellent questions. And we will be back again soon with another guest another five questions and another topic thank you very much wait a minute don't forget to like share and subscribe